Welcome to the GRF On The Go podcast. The subject matter experts at GRF CPAs and Advisors created this podcast to offer insights on current topics, as well as new ideas and best practices that your team can apply today. This podcast was originally presented as a live webinar. CPE information provided during the podcast is no longer valid, but if you're interested in watching the video version of this session or accessing the slide deck, visit our website at grfcpa.com forward slash events. Enjoy the episode and remember to subscribe for future content. Hello, everyone. I want to welcome you all to today's webinar, Compliance Tips and Tools for 8A and Small Business Government Contractors. My name is Yevgeny Sahenko. I'm a partner in our Outsourced Accounting and Advisory Services Department here at GRF. And today we are joined by two other members of our Outsourced Accounting and Advisory Services team, Paul Calabres and Steve Lyons. And today we also have a very special guest, Tommy Benz, who's a principal and lead strategist at Growth Lab. Tommy was gracious enough to offer his time and expertise to us today, and we really appreciate him being with us. Please also note that the webinar is not intended as financial or legal advice. It's simply for educational purposes. So we're GRF CPAs and advisors. We're based out of Bethesda, Maryland, and we serve clients in the DMV area primarily, but also nationally and internationally. Our firm serves a wide range of clients covering nonprofit, for-profit schools, government contractors, and others. However, our particular niche is that within the non-for-profit space and INGO. We've been in operation for several decades, and we recently celebrated our 40th anniversary in 2021. So as you can see here, we have a lot of exciting content for you all today. So without further ado, let's get into it. I wanna hand things over first to Paul. Hello, everybody. Um, I'm Paul Calabrese and I'm a subject matter expert in the uh, OAAS area. And I used to be a prior DCA auditor. And so um, I'd like to talk just briefly about an annual budget in conjunction with your projected indirect rates. So let's go to the next slide. Thank you. So with government contracts, if you have cost type, cost plus fixed fee, award fee, incentive fee, those types of contracts, the government agency is most likely gonna be interested in you providing them what we call PBR, provisional billing rates once a year so that they can use that for your um, invoicing, your fixed price that may not be an issue. And we'll talk about that in a minute. So an important thing um, in doing these rates is uh, understanding both the agency that may audit you. D DCAA through DOD, Defense Contract Audit Agency, is a lot more proactive um, in reaching out and getting these provisional rates. If you're with USAID, um, they too may be proactive, depending upon if what your contract mix is. Um, some of the other agencies like HHS, they use DFAS, which is out of NIH, to do their contract management and outreach for audits. So every and every agency is going to be different depending upon the resources, whether they reach out. So there's a need for an annual budget and forecasted indirect rates for the upcoming year. Um, what the government, especially with DCA, would like to see is not only your current projected 
provisional billing rates, but also your prior year. They'll also want to see full year, prior year indirect rates and costs. Next. So a lot of questions come up, not just with DCA, but any agency is, you know, why are they not reaching out to us? How come we don't hear from them? We do have government contracts. It could be because your contract mixed is primarily fixed price, time and material, maybe commercial as well, and really no cost type contracts. Or you tend to be a subcontractor under a prime, and therefore they're not reaching out to you. They tend to negotiate these kinds of projected indirect rates for the next year for billing purposes with prime contractors. So there are a couple of reasons why you'd want to develop and invest in an annual budget because they are very, very important. And it's a way of providing, it's of course a financial plan of your organization, but also it's a way of showing the amount of personnel uh, to perform the contracts and support indirect functions. Many of you probably are just service firms, very few are fabrication, manufacturing, but personnel costs is a really big part of that. And they want to see, you know, where things are, especially in the overhead and general and administrative. Um, and of course, you know, budgets are important for cash flow and year-end tax planning. And it's a very, very powerful thing. It's the roadmap. It will, the way I develop it for our clients, uh, we provide, you know, down to the general ledger account and we can show labor distributions of personnel and so forth. Next slide. And, you know, in preparing indirect rates, you know, you're going to organize your direct and indirect costs to view your year end rate. And so let's say you project GNA and it's 13% or something. Well, what's really nice about it is if you build this budget on a monthly basis, then as each month passes, we're almost done with February. And let's pretend we're done with February. We can then take the, the estimated amounts for January and February and insert the actual amounts for January and February. And so even if your rate was, GNA rate was 13%, maybe now it's it's uh, uh, has two months of actuals and 10 months of provisional or budgeted information, um, the rate may scoot up to 14.6 or something. And so we always do these rates on a cumulative basis, but we as we start to see the, the actual cost data going in month by month, we're going to see those year-end rates. Some people call that target rates because that's what they're trying to see, where they're going to reach. Um, but we see a change month by month on a cumulative basis. And that's very helpful in, in terms of managing our contracts. But again, if, you're, if your mix is mostly fixed price, time and material, um, you know, you want to be concerned about indirect rates. And if they tend to go up, you might say, why am I experiencing lower return or even losses? And so indirects are such a big part. And I also know that some entities that are more into the fixed right, fixed price time and material, they're kind of guesstimating, you know, what their indirects are. Oh, you know, we think it's this or that. But without a real conscientious rate buildup, there, there can be some concerns. In fact, you can see in the neck, the bottom bullet, I wrote an article um, about it, strategies for indirect cost recovery from fixed price government contractors. It's on our website. 
and it might help you. You know, cost type contractors, they're going to tend to be a little bit more sensitive um, because they have to provide these indirect rates, fixed price and, and time of tail. They may not be required in their proposal process, but it's still an important uh, requirement. Next slide. This becomes our first polling question. The question is, are you struggling in forecasting your indirect rates for your upcoming fiscal year? Yes, no, or unsure. All right. What's the results? Let's, we get to see the results. So, so you know, at least 40% are, are having some struggles in this area. It wouldn't surprise me, and it wouldn't surprise me if those entities may also be fixed price or time of hero uh, in their contract mix, but it also could be cost type. So um, that's something that certainly we can help you with if you need the help, but we just wanted you to, we just wanted to see who's struggling, who isn't. Okay, last slide. So some of the concerns are even if you have cost type contracts and you are developing these things, what happens if your provisional rates are higher than your actuals and you're gaining more cash? And if you're audited, they, the auditors may want to put that up as a liability on your balance sheet if you are audited. Um, or the reverse, which is even more of a concern, your actual rates are higher than your your provisionals and then you have to think about well what's the ultimate cost ceiling will i have enough resources to recover that are there ceiling rates are there funding limitations so my last point to you is of course why those provisional billing rates are so important if you have cost type contracts is because they're used for the government will use that once they have them for funding mods new proposals etc thank you i'll return to yev Perfect. Thanks, Paul. And I think, yeah, we're just going to hand it right over to Steve. Thanks, Jeff. Again, good morning, everyone. My name is Stephen Lyons, and I'm a part of our outsource advisory accounting service group. I specialize in preparing financial statements as well as keeping financial statements compliant. Today, I'll be discussing the financial uh, statement requirements for 8A program as part of the 8A program. Next slide. So part of the 8A program, you'll be required to submit it to submit three types of financial statements, audit, review, and compilation. You may be already familiar with these terms, but I thought I would do a quick overview of these engagements. In an audit engagement, our procedures are performed to obtain reasonable assurance that the statements are free of a material misstatement. In an audit, audit procedures may include a detailed review of your internal and external documents, getting a understanding of your accounting ecosystem, uh, your processes around payroll, your processes around paying vendors, your process around customer receipts. Again, an overall understanding of your entire accounting and accounting environment. Next slide. And a financial statement review, limited assurances provided that there are no material modifications needed for the statements to be in uh, financial, financial review conformity. And in short, that means that no adjustments are needed for the statements to be in conformity with GAAP or other financial framework that may be 
modified cash basis, uh, income tax basis. But for your government contracting purposes, your financial statements will always be in accordance with uh, generally accepted accounting principles that are known as GAAP. And in a review engagement, it's, it's sitting around analytical procedures, ratios. We do comparisons of year-to-year -year, um, variances of your data. We have inquiries with management in order to determine if um, the data that the analyticals make sense. And this, the engagement is strictly centered around uh, analytical procedures. And while these procedures go on in an audit as well, the review is focused only on those procedures. Next slide. In a compilation engagement, no assurance is provided in a compilation engagement. The intent is to present your financial data in the form of financial statements. Although no assurance is provided these engagements, we still do our due diligence to ensure that they are properly reported, whether that's whether that is gap. We also look at to make sure there are any issues with the presentation. And if they are, we will make adjustments. Or in some cases, if there is uh, further supported documentation that's required, we will request it and make um, any necessary adjustments. Another quick note as it relates to all three of these engagements is that in an audit and a review, you have to have an independent CPA prepare these engagements. So if you have an in-house CPA or maybe you have an outsourced uh, firm that's handling your accountant, they cannot prepare your audit and review. You would have to engage a third-party CPA However, with a compiled financial statement, if you do have an in-house accountant CPA or you have an outsourcing firm, they can prepare a uh, compiled financial statement and an audit and a review. Independence is the issue of why um, you need the third-party CPA where you don't have to be independent to prepare a compiled financial statement. As a part of the 8A program, you'll be again required to submit one of these three types of financial statements and it's derived on your revenues. So here, if your revenues are between zero or 2 million, an annual compilation is required or uh, your internal financial statements are can be submitted. In a review engagement, revenues between two and 10 million. And in an audit engagement, revenues, if your revenues are 10 million above, you're required to submit an audit. A few notes to help with your submission processes relates to this that I often advise my clients of. As you can see, that an audit and a review is due not excuse me a a compilation and a review is due ninety days after your after your fiscal year or calendar year end, and an audit is due one hundred twenty days after your year end. I recommend getting those in as soon as possible. While you can get extensions, what I generally see from experience you'll have a need that's not related to the SBA reporting requirement where you need the financial statements. And it's normally, it becomes a, an immediate rush or an expedited process. And that and just doing this process timely will help you uh, mitigate the need to have these urgent, have these statements uh, done urgently. Also, you wanna track your revenues throughout the year. Um, I've had a number of clients over the years that didn't realize they even needed this, the, um, the particular level of statements based on just not being aware of the revenues or where they're at throughout the year. I recommend, especially probably the last quarter of the year to get an idea where you're at as far as your revenues and then do a forecast of where you're gonna be at at the end of the year. That's also important for cost reasons as well. Generally, when you're going from compilation to a review, review to an audit, the price point does double, in some cases triple. So 
being aware of where you're at throughout the year will help help you better prepare yourself as well as get an idea of where you're at going to be as far as costs as these engagements. Excellent. Here again, another um, snapshot of the different requirements and the, uh, the revenue levels. I do want to focus here on two particular elements about exceptions for audit as well as calculating the receipts or the gross receipts that goes in the process of determining which statements are needed. And exceptions to an audit, so if you if it's your first year needing an audit within the 8A program, there are some exceptions. In the event that it's your first year, you can have a balance sheet audit where we would just audit the balance sheet and you can have the applicable service that you received in prior years. So in prior year, if you received a compilation engagement where you submitted your internal financial statements and then you need an audit, you can do a balance sheet audit and then submit your internal financial statements or have a compilation prepared on the other two statements that are required. If you have unexpected growth or in the last quarter of the year, your revenues uh, leads you to where you're 10 million above, you can have a waiver for audit as well. Additionally, if you've been in the program for less than 12 months, you can have the audit uh, waived as well. And if you have good cause or you're not financially able to perform or get an audit done, uh, that may take a bit of a bit of work to prove that, but that also may be a waiver as well. So for calculating the cash receipts or your annual revenues, um, the most important thing, this is a year-to-year -year comparison, a year-to-year -year evaluation. So this isn't a rolling average or an average amount. It is year-to-year. -year, so and what goes into the number is the revenue numbers, all your sources of revenue, your entire uh, ecosystem of revenue. So that's your government contracting revenue, your 8A revenue. If you have commercial revenue, whether it's uh, through other commercial engagements, uh, investment income, royalties, and all, and all kinds of revenue, all that goes into the, the total uh, revenue formula for determining the financial statements that you would need. I've had clients in the past often say that it's just based on their government revenue, but it is based on your all your revenues. So as a part of preparing the financial statements, you'll have to present your, your financial statements and you're presenting the revenue in these three different components. Uh, there's also, there also may be another component that's, that listed other revenue, but you'll have your non-8A revenue, your 8A revenue, and your commercial revenue. And while this is de minimis in, in some aspects, I've actually seen the SBA reject the statements because they're not presented in this in this particular format or it's not clearly identified. And in the financial statements, this should be uh, desegregated so that they can clearly see that. And what I recommend with this is just, you know, it's easy in your accounting system, maybe just to have you're dumping all your revenues in one accounting system, excuse me, one, one accounting um, line item, but I recommend just having three uh, three revenue accounts so this becomes kind of an easy an easy lift um, as the time comes to prepare financial statements. But definitely um, you want to make sure that your revenues are are segregated in preparing the financial statements. And here we're to our second polling question. So uh, true or false? A required a compilation is required if you have revenues between two million and ten million dollars.
some time to answer that. Oh, wow. Okay. It's almost 50-50. So, uh, so that is false. So a financial statement review is needed between revenues between uh, 2 million and 10 million. So um, when you're in that, between that threshold of revenues, it's a financial statement review. If your revenues are below 2 million or less, that's when it's a compilation or your internal financial statement. So Thanks, Steve. So now I will hand it over to myself to discuss system consideration. So this is going to be primarily focusing in on a lot of what Steve and Paul had already covered, but some additional considerations I think you all should keep in mind as you're looking at accounting systems or applications to add on to your GL package to handle a lot of these, I would say, more government contracting accounting nuances. So this slide is probably going to be the most important all-encompassing. I try to essentially very concisely summarize the key considerations, things to keep in mind when you're looking at an accounting system to help you be both 8A compliant, but also just more generally compliant with gov government contracting. We'll be referring to it here as GovCon accounting standards and just accounting nuances. So to start with the 8A side, the bullet points here in light blue. So as Steve had already mentioned earlier, being able to segregate out the three types of revenues, the 8A revenue, the non-8A revenue, and then your commercial revenues. Also, when we speak about audit readiness, and on the next two slides, I just want to mention that I'm going to pick out the three from each bucket of 8A considerations and GovCon consideration, the three ones that I would probably, in my experience, deem to be the most important. This is just a general overview, so we'll be diving a little bit deeper into a few of these. But as it relates to audit readiness, this is just more generally, I think any accounting system, obviously, you want to be able to handle fairly quickly pulling the support for if you have to have a financial statement audit, review, compilation, any of those three insurance engagements that Steve spoke to earlier. But also I'll have functionality so that you can look at an audit history to see if anybody made any changes to hopefully be able to lock accounting periods if you can to prevent any changes going back to prior periods to be able to ideally attach support to transactions because as any of you that have gone through any assurance engagements you know that auditors need support for the transactions and the balances so keeping those kind of things in mind and it's probably even more pronounced on the on the government contracting side now getting into more of the cost tracking. So Paul already spoke to this, but being able to track direct versus your indirect costs, I'll get into it a little bit later, timekeeping. So having a system either within the accounting system itself, or oftentimes we'll see third party add-on systems to allow people to charge their time, but more importantly charge either directly to projects or some accounting code that is an indirect cost account and maps to those indirect cost accounts, allowing you to quickly put together everything you'd need for an incurred cost submission or God forbid, going through an incurred cost audit. So again, a lot of what I already spoke to on the audit readiness side and just having those, that functionality, which I'll speak to in a little bit to pull support for your indirect rates and your cost pools and your cost bases. And then finally, this is more on the probably 
management accounting side, but being able to run reports that show you profitability by job, by project, by contract, essentially a P&L by what we refer to oftentimes as project. So it seems easy in theory. Oftentimes, most accounting systems can handle it and show the direct costs by project where it gets a little bit more nuanced and oftentimes results in manual intervention by way of Excel is to show a full net income by project, meaning showing your indirect costs. And that oftentimes is because of lack of functionality for applying and burdening your costs with your indirects by virtue of a rate. So you want to keep that in mind. And just more generally, when we get into the GovCon nuances, so being able to accumulate your costs by pool, whether again, in a typical three tier rate structure by fringe, by GNA, by overhead, however you decide to accumulate your costs. Having support for different contracts like that Paul spoke to earlier, being able to support billing nuances as it relates to DNM contracts, firm fixed price contracts, cost reimbursable contracts, and being able to again apply your rates, see how the billing and the invoicing was put together, having all the support running through your DL and making its way into your invoices. System integration ability, this is more generally speaking about having a cloud-based system ideally, or at least an open API that allows your underlying GL package to connect to other systems, whether it's like a procurement management system, contract management system, HR system perhaps, or if you're working with a system that perhaps doesn't have built-in functionality to handle the nuances of government contract accounting, being able to connect to some third-party applications that do, that can assist with, for instance, timekeeping, expense management, perhaps calculating indirect rates, all of that. Budgeting capability, going back to the point that Paul was making earlier as well, as far as forecasting rates, some kind of functionality either in the system itself or a third-party application that allows you by, to budget ideally by accounts and then in budgeting by account that then shows you how everything flows into your forecasted rates and all of your inputs, being able to calculate indirect rates, tracking them, seeing where they land. And this goes back to the point about accumulating costs by pool, just seeing as you post transaction to your accounting system, what is it doing to your indirect rates to keep a pulse on all of that as you proceed with your fiscal year. Invoicing, I spoke to earlier when I spoke about contracts and handling different contract types and just being able to, again, invoice and in the event of a cost reimbursable contract, apply your rates on your invoices and knowing that you have them fully supported by your underlying accounting data. And then finally, with labor distribution, just ideally some functionality to be able to take the timekeeping data and upon running payroll, distribute out those labor costs across your different pools, whether it's overhead, fringe, direct, GNA, whatever your rate structure is, to be able to then see how exactly is your team working and what are they spending their time on from a financial statement perspective. So if we can move to the next slide, just digging into the three considerations that I think are most pronounced, at least on the 8A side, speaking about segregating that 8A revenue that Steve spoke about earlier. So it could either be done in most cases, it is through your chart of accounts or just setting up three accounts in your chart of accounts for 8A, non-8A and commercial. A lot of the accounting systems these days have what we like to call dimensions or tags. So if you, for instance, wanted to have just one revenue account that just says revenues and instead each transaction you tag with a dimension in QuickBooks, we often use the class dimension. So tag it as either being 8A, 9A commercial, 
And all that will do is just now present your total revenues, not broken out as a separate row in your financial statements, one row for each account. Now it's presented as a column. So breaking out your revenue into three columns of 8A, 9A, and commercial. Direct versus indirect cost tracking, we already spoke about that briefly. So oftentimes in the chart of accounts, that's where the segregation will happen. Direct costs are usually in the 5,000 series of accounts and then in the standard three tier rate structure, you'll have fringe usually represented by the 6,000 accounts, overhead by the 7,000, GNA by the 8,000. And then obviously ideally having some kind of methodology that's ideally built into your system in some way for how you're gonna distribute out those transactions across those different pools and different categories of accounts between direct and indirect. And then finally, being able to tra track profitability by project. So most of that will entail being able to apply your indirect rates on the indirect side to give you by project your direct costs, which again, in most cases, are pretty easy to tack to a project in an accounting system, but then applying your indirect rates upon those in, upon those direct costs to give you a fully loaded net income by project. Next slide. And just real quick on the more general GovCon side, as far as the three considerations. So being able to track, calculate rates. I know in a lot of accounting systems that are not purpose built for government contractors, that seems to be a common pain point. So being able to set up all your indirect cost pools, all of your bases, all of the accounts that map into those pools and bases, and then if set up correctly, you're able to basically monitor your indirect rates as you close each month, each period. And that's critical to any government contractor, in my opinion. And then to facilitate that, obviously being able to accumulate costs by pool, a lot of that is done through that setup of the indirect rates and the cost pools and bases. And then as you post transactions into your accounting system, all of those accounts will map to the pools and the bases. And again, just facilitate ongoing monitoring and tracking of your indirect rates. And then finally, if possible, having an open API, ideally cloud-based system that allows you to integrate with some of those other systems that give you a full view into everything surrounding government contracts management. So project management, procurement data, HR data. And if again, you're working with a system that does not have functionality for government contracting built into it, then ideally the ability to connect to third-party applications that do. So we go on to the next slide, just very briefly, this webinar, I'm not going to get into speaking about each of these systems. This is more just generally, in our experience, what we've seen, some of our clients using these systems. So if you're operating with QuickBooks Online as your underlying GL package, and some of these systems can help with some of those, again, more government contracting type nuances, because at its core, QuickBooks Online is not really purpose-built for government contractors, but using Number one, www.apps.com. That is QuickBooks' basically approved third-party applications that they vetted and then they think integrate well with QuickBooks. So searching that for government contract compliance type tools, but then also considering some of the ones listed here. So in the top left-hand corner, we have QuickBooks Time for Timekeeping, ICAT systems, GovCon Connect, GovRates, eFact. Those are systems that are going to allow you to do more with the kind of functionality surrounding profitability by project timekeeping, things like that, more government contract specific. And then Nixoni is, again, another timekeeping tool, expense management tool that integrates with QuickBooks and can help you be more ECA compliant. But going to the next slide, 
we have another common geo package that our clients like to use Sage Intax. Sage Intax also has a similar type product like apps.com on the QuickBooks side. It's called their Sage Marketplace. That's basically where you go to to see third-party applications that connect well with Intact. Sage Intact, from what I've seen last time I was on the Sage Marketplace, doesn't have as much for specific government contract accounting nuance compliance type tools. But I think part of that is because at its core, Sage Intact is a more powerful product in the way of reporting. So it has built-in functionality to allow what they call dynamic allocations to allow you to do labor distributions using timesheet data automatically through the system. It does have functionality to address revenue recognition standards under AAC 606 and IFRS 15. So milestone-based billing on firm fixed price contracts, percentage of completion and other things that you can build into revenue recognition to help with that as it comes time for your audits, reviews, compilations. And then, as I mentioned earlier, just generally reporting using dimensions in intact, you can create reports that allow you to have P&Ls by project, track your labor utilization, have more customizable reporting surrounding budget versus actual by project, so on and so forth. And then the one tool listed here, Martis, that's a budgeting tool that integrates very well with Intact, very powerful. And it's one that a lot of our clients are using to build and see exactly all of the inputs as it relates to indirect rates or specifically provisional indirect rates. And then finally, I want to close with just throwing out some names of tools that are Obviously not. They are their separate basically geo packages that are purpose built for the government contracting industry. Some of these we've worked with, some of these we've seen. So if there's any questions really on any of these tools, again, it was outside of the scope of this webinar to dig into any of these specifically. But if you have any questions about any of them, please reach out. We'll have our contact information on the screen shortly. But just some of the tools here listed are ones that are, once again, it's kind of one-stop shopping, if you will. So Delta Cost Point is the big name. Unit is another one, Jameis, Procast, Workplan, and then Stimpak. So we, I think we're diving into, yeah, so our next polling question. So the question is, in, out of curiosity, which GovCon or 8A specific system considerations that I alluded to earlier, are you all finding the most difficulty with handling? And I'm in some ways, I want to test my theory if the indirect rates is really the, the most common one. So... Is it profitability tracking by project, monitoring your indirect rates and calculating them, integrating with other systems like project management, procurement HR or other? Some time to answer. Okay, interesting. So it actually ended up being the ability to integrate with other systems. So I can, I can definitely see that I was really, in some ways, hoping that it would be the indirect rates one, just if nothing else to prove my theory, but it did come in, I guess, tie for second. So interesting. Okay. All right. So I guess I will hand it over to Tommy now. Great. All right. Well, um, now we've talked about uh, how to track this money. Let's talk about how to uh, how to get some more to increase the revenue. So uh, my name is Tommy Benz. I'm with uh, 8A Strategies, and um, we focus on growth in the public sector. So we're going to talk today about some of the free tools to identify federal opportunities. Um, so you can go to the next slide. 
Um, so there's a lot of, there's a lot of free tools out there. I think a lot of, um, I talk to a lot of companies on a daily basis. And one of the things that a lot of companies get hung up on is they're like, oh my gosh, I've got to like budget thousands and thousands of dollars for, um, for business development tools to track opportunities and do this. And so what I, I, I say like, absolutely, like there are a lot of free tools out there that you can get probably 80% of what you can get from the uh, from some of the other paid tools because honestly the paid tools are pulling from a lot of these free tools they're just they're just compile them and make them um, put them in a format that's easier to to read and to see and to kind of sort through and filter but there's all but because all these things are pulling from these free things you can get the vast majority of being able to find opportunities and track opportunities um, you can get that right here for free out of free government websites. So if we can go to the next slide, we'll start with SAM.gov because I think that's the one that probably most most people are familiar with, right? Because you have to register in SAM.gov to be able to bid on government contracts um, and to receive them. So most people are familiar with SAM.gov. Um, this is the open market thing. So this is where you can receive alerts for contract opportunities, awards, um, you can get updates to opportunities. You can also review publicly available RFPs and RFIs, and then you can review award data and company information. So what I want to do is kind of talk to you a little bit about like some of the ways you can use each one of these and kind of use all of them as kind of a suite of tools. SAM.gov is obviously, you you know, most people understand that they can you can get alerts. Um, I also have to work with a lot of people on setting up saved searches. So there you have the ability in SAM.gov to set up saved searches. And it's actually fairly powerful because you can set it up for NAICS code, you can set it up for PSC code, you can set it up for keywords. Um, and then they'll they'll just get delivered to your inbox, um, kind of a rundown of that of all of the updates for that day will get delivered to your inbox every evening. Um, and so what I suggest doing is absolutely setting up safe searches in SAM.gov um, and take the time to maybe set up some different ones because I, I have different searches set up to look at different things. Um, one of the things that you run into, especially like in the IT sector, is that sometimes there's um, there's only a few NAICS codes and so many things get jammed into those few NAICS codes. So if you're doing like 541, for example, you're going to get a lot of, and you're and you do web development, you're going to get a lot of stuff in there that may not pertain to web development um, just because it's such, there's so many things that get crammed into that NAICS code. Same thing for 541611, where the, it's the general administrative marketing, or, you know, that, that general administrative NAICS code is kind of a catch-all for all those things. And so what I would say doing with those is, is putting in NAICS codes, put in your, your standard NAICS codes, but then layering in keywords over top so that what it'll do is it'll pull the NAICS code, but then it'll scrape for the keywords across those NAICS codes. And hopefully that cuts down the amount of information that you have to review every evening. Also, of course, you're using it to track RFPs and RFIs, um, but you can also use it to track award data. Um, there's another tool that you can do this, do this for as well. But one of the things that um, that I've talked to companies with is, is, is looking through SAM.gov for previous awards because you can look at the, you can actually look at the RFP and you can see the scope of what the agency was looking for and then what the winning bid was for that. And for some companies that are newer to the government space and they're trying to break in, 
sometimes pricing is a really big struggle and trying to understand where the government, like, what do I need to, where do I need to be at at a price point for government contracting? And I think this is a really good research tool because you can actually look at those RFPs. You can look at the scope. You can kind of create your own rough pricing of what you would, what you would charge and then look to see what it was actually awarded for. And then it, it allows you to kind of sift through and get an idea. All right, so let's go to the next slide. USA Spending, this this tool is great. Um, it, they've updated it. They've made it much better. Um, it's much more user-friendly. Um, this is basically tracking all of the, co the contracts that have been awarded and, and everything, it's, it's, it's all in this system in USA Spending. The, the drawback to USA Spending is that they only do an update every 30 days. So it may not be the most quite up-to-date, but if you're just doing it for let's say you're trying to build a pipeline of expired of expiring contracts that are coming up. You're not looking for new opportunities. You're looking for contracts that are already awarded, but you know they're going to be expiring over the next 12 to 18 months. You can use USA Spending to build a pipeline of expiring contracts really, really easily um, because there's a lot of filters, a lot of tools in there. And you can and you can drop your keywords and NAICS codes and PSC codes and use all these different filters to create a snapshot and 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 actually export that data out into an Excel sheet to be able to track it. So I I if you are not using USA spending and you're struggling to figure out like what expiring contracts are coming up, I would highly recommend using this. It's I I think it's gotten so much better. And um, and so much more user friendly, and it also will give you information on companies as well. So you can look up companies within USA Spending, and you can see the contracts that they have. You can see where they're located. You can see revenue, at least their government contracting revenue as a prime contractor, and it allows you to do some research on companies as well. So really great tool. Don't don't sleep on USA Spending. It's a really it's a really helpful tool. Next slide. FPDS. Um, so FPDS is going to be all, it's going to be all the live data that contracting is putting in. So when um, when a contracting officer awards a contract, they put it into FPDS, and it's and it happens on kind of a live basis. It's the official source for contract data for the federal government, um, and it's a it's a good tool, but it is extremely clunky to use. Um, it's not very user friendly. It can be like it's it can be a struggle to kind of um, to find the things that you're looking for. However, it is a great tool if you're looking for um, if you're looking for specific contract actions because the way the FPDS tracks like contract data is it actually has like all of the contract actions. So if they if they add money to a contract or if they take away or they you know take funding out of a contract. Um, they, if they add more money on an option year, it's all in there as a, um, as a contract action. And so you can get really granular data on the contract. And then also like how many offers were received? So how many people bid on the contract? Um, how, like, what was the set aside? Who has the contract now and, and the information on, on their company? So FPS is a good tool. It just can be a little clunky to use. And so, um, what I generally do is um, if I'm building a pipeline, if I was going to build a pipeline out of, of expiring contracts, I would use USA spending to kind of to do that and then maybe drill down on specific things using FPDS to try to like gather like some really granular information. So I probably wouldn't use FPDS off the, at the beginning, but I would definitely use it to be able to check things. Okay, next slide. 
So if you have a GSA schedule, GSA eBuy is obviously a great tool for live opportunities. Um, and a lot of companies don't check this on a daily basis, and uh, you really, really should. Um, if you have a GSA schedule, you really should be checking it on a, on a daily basis. You'll see opportunities come up when, for RFIs. You'll see RFPs drop on here. Um, it allows you to foresee the opportunities as they come out. Sometimes they can be a little bit shorter window. Um, for those of you who have GSA schedule, you've probably seen that sometimes they have a tighter window of response um, than something on SAM.gov. But it is it is a shallower pool of bidders that you're going up against, um, and so you'll be you'll be very kind of tightly focused around like the the companies that only have your NICS code or SEN. Um, and then sometimes there may be set-asides in there as well. So if you're an SDVOSB or you're an 8A, um, you may be you know, only competing if that contract's set aside against other companies that are the same thing. Next slide. So this is another thing that is really helpful, our agency forecast. So we talked about building a pipeline of expiring contracts. The next thing is for new contracts that are not current, right? So there's no contract in place for it right now. Um, you can the forecast, you can see the expiring contracts as well, but, but this is also where you see where the new requirements are. So every year government agencies publish a list of anticipated contracts and procurements. Um, some are rolling, others are once a year. I'm trying to think of a diplomatic way to say this. And uh, the best thing I can say is some agencies are better than others. Um, there are some agencies that really, um, they, they, they're constantly churning and updating this on a rolling basis. Other agencies, they, they kind of, they put something up and they may not update it the rest until they do, until they do it next, the, the next year. Um, so what I would say is you kind of, you're going to have to test and see like which agencies are good and which, which ones are better. Also, some agencies have moved to kind of like a like a database where you uh, you can't like there's some agencies that have it like as an Excel spreadsheet, right? So you can just you can download the Excel spreadsheet, you can put your filters in, you can look at the other stuff. Other agencies have it where they're in like a database where you have to go and type in like your keyword or your NICS codes, and then it'll flip up the opportunities for that. Um, I I think there's still a work in progress the databases. Um, I still, I, I still prefer the spreadsheets because I feel like you can see everything. And sometimes the databases I feel like are not as comprehensive, but I think they're working on it and trying to improve it. And so it's kind of a work in progress. I feel like, um, additionally, you want to connect with the target agencies on industry days and with your Osdebu offices, um, the industry days sometimes can feel like a waste of time, but other times you can get some good kernels of information to um, to be able to kind of set yourself up to be able to bid on things coming up. So I would say it's definitely worth going to industry days and your target agencies. Um, you It allows you to build some relationships sometimes with those contracting people that do show up for the industry days. Um, and also you can potentially get some information on that. Next slide. Okay, so um, so um, if you have any other questions, happy to happy to answer questions. Um, and of course, you can feel free to connect with me on LinkedIn. Um, but uh, but I think it, I just just want to reinforce that there are definitely lots of free tools out there that you can get. You can absolutely build a pipeline, and uh, you do not need to pay for the paid tools. I I think the paid tools are great. I use them as well. But there are definitely some great free tools out there as well. All right.
Perfect. Thanks so much, Tommy. So I think before we close, we did get some questions that came in through the chat directly to me. So I, th I think this one is probably better for you, Steve. So the question is, what are some recommendations for preparing for first year compilation review or audit engagement? Thanks, Jeff. That's a, a fantastic question. And what I tell my clients all the time is make sure for the most part that your accounting data is in your accounting system. And I know that's a lot easier now and intuitive because a lot of the accounting systems can sync with your financial institution. It makes the process a little less onerous than in prior years when maybe you had to manually do it, but make sure your data is in your accounting system um, you know, by the end of the year that you're closing it, that if you have an outsourced account, they've done a review of your data to make sure all your supporting schedules agreed to support your accounting system numbers. And that makes the process, at least the initial process, a lot easy. And then schedule some time really to be devoted to these engagements, you know, when you do need them. Um, an audit can easily take a month to do, maybe a little bit more, especially in the first year. Comp a review is generally two to three weeks in compilation, maybe one or two weeks, depending on the activity. So uh, really devote some time in your schedule to allocate when they're done, because it's easy to get into start and stops. And that's how these engagements tend to linger and not get done efficiently. So. Yeah, right. Okay, that makes sense. Perfect. Thanks, Steve. So the next question is, what is the difference between overhead and GNA? And I think probably that's a good question for you, Paul, if you don't mind taking that one. Sure. Happy to. Um, it's probably one of the biggest questions that people are asking, especially when you're dealing with indirect rates. Overheads generally tend to pertain to, could be geographic. So you have an office in, in D.C. and an office in Norfolk, Virginia, and you have a lot of people serving under those areas, then then it may behoove you to have two separate rates. You could have an on-site rate, an on-site at government rate versus your own off-site at your own office. The on-site rate typically would not have rent or any of the other uh, facility-supported costs because you're at uh, an office of the federal government or on base or something of that nature. Um, other things besides different service lines that you may set up overheads, you may, if you're in the manufacturing or fabrication or an engineering pool. Um, and then general administrative is really where everybody tends to sit that benefit the entity as a whole. So your executive group, your accounting, finance, HR, IT, purchasing, um, could be your COO. Some of most of the C-suite would sit in GNA, and then sometimes when people have a little bit of difficulty, is they do have set up an overhead and a GNA, and they're both sitting in the same facility. And so then there are different ways to allocate square footage is an old-fashioned way to do it, taking a tape measure. It's today, especially since everyone's working remote. But you may want to just use dollars. Um, but the preferred method for DCA, if you're going to use labor dollars to allocate, they want to see both the direct labor and overhead indirect labor as a part of the percent that applies to overhead and then only GNA labor um, that would allocate to GNA, just as um, a little bit helpful there. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I think what's helped me too, Paul, in terms of like, I've gotten this question a lot too, and the easiest way that I've, in my 
pea-sized brain that I've been able to kind of understand it is overhead is, is are those indirect costs kind of that are benefiting the contract, so to speak, whereas the GNA costs are kind of those indirect costs that are benefi- benefiting the entire company, so to speak. Exactly. Exactly. And in the overhead, you would have uh, probably a higher level person, a vice president or department head, like you say, that would be managing a specific group of uh, contracts. And that person really, and the, the people working with that person, you know, there's too many contracts to charge or go the need for an overhead. Mm-hmm. Got it. Okay. And it looks like the last question is, how would you recommend selecting which third-party system I need for my 8A DEFCON needs? Okay, I'll, I'll take that one. I think the easiest way that I've found to try to get to something like that is ask yourself the question, where do you find yourself spending the most time doing Excel manipulation? So if you find yourself exporting reports out of your accounting system and then taking it to Excel and doing some kind of manipulation there, whether it's to try to calculate indirect rates or to try to distribute out the labor for labor distribution purposes and allocate it out or monitoring the timekeeping data, that typically is a pretty good indication of where you likely would want to look into a third-party application that can just systematize that process. There's nothing, I think, if a lot, obviously a lot of us are accountants, so we, we tend to operate and feel comfortable in Excel, but there's opportunities for formula errors and just, it's, it's not meant to be necessarily a database. And so you want to, to the extent possible, have the systems doing those kind of calculations and manipulating that data for you. So I think in general, if you ask that question, you find yourself spending again a lot of time doing manual manipulation in Excel or other tools for a lot of the things that I mentioned earlier as far as system considerations. Feel free to, to reach out. Any one of us, I think, can offer some kind of thoughts as far as things that we've seen in tools or third-party application or just general systems that could help standardize that process. Okay. I think that was it for questions. Let me just check the Q&A. I think we had one question about the slides. Yeah, so the slides will be made available and mailed out this afternoon. So with that, I think we can wrap up just a little bit earlier. So we'd like to thank everyone for joining today's discussion. And we encourage you all to follow us on social media at GRF CPAs and visit our website for upcoming events and alerts. Thank you once again and have a great day. Thank you for listening to the GRF on the Co podcast. Visit our website at grfcpa.com for more information about the services we provide, the industries we serve, or to request a quote.